Hey everybody, Bleeding Claret and Cobalt Decision Day Edition. Trey Fitzgerald, Ryan Hale here with you. We'll look back a little bit to the Galaxy performance. We'll look ahead to Sunday against Portland at America First Field in Sandy. Home game for Decision Day. What's the Decision Day history? What's the history against Portland? What does RSL need to do to just get in the playoffs? Well, they need to win, but how will they win this Sunday, October 9th, on State Street in Sandy. We'll get into all that much, much more right here. Bleeding, Claret and Cobalt, brought to you by One Wire Fiber. Hey, guys, just a big shout-out to our friend Adam Sessions and One Wire Fiber. We would not be able to bring you Bleeding, Claret, and Cobalt every week, every month without their great support. So you wouldn't want all your RSL news information coming from some distant, out-of-state people that don't care about this community. So why would you rely on your voice, video, text for business coming from one of these big companies that literally don't care about you. If you don't own a business, but your friends do, your family does, you got to reach out to these guys because the level of customer service, of support, attention to detail from OneWire Fiber is immense. And we all know how fast the world is moving these days. If our phones, our computers, if our connectivity is not functioning properly, you just feel completely stuck in the water. And Adam and OneWire Fiber, they will figure it all out for you so you don't have to. The number one, W-I-R-E dot C-O, OneWire Fiber, they will take care of you. They care about this community. They care about this club, and they care about you. All right, Ryan, big opportunity this Sunday in Sandy, America First Field, the Riot Fan clubs will be in full throat. Should be a 17th straight sellout, which is great. RSL hoping to qualify for the playoffs for the 12th time in 15 seasons, which I think is a pretty remarkable perennial consistency. Um, Obviously, I think if you had told me in February that we'd have a home game win-in-your-in scenario, on October 9th, we would take that. But when you look at where the club was at 7-3-3 three, and three on June 1st with five of seven home games, I think you would have expected that it didn't come down to decision day to get in the playoffs. And, and we've talked a little bit, and we can talk more today. I think if you just take maybe half of the points that you feel like you've um, – I don't know the right way to say this. Um, The points that you've kind of like just given away on self-inflicted wounds. If you had half of those points, maybe you're, you're playing for a three or a four seed in a home playoff game. But at the end of the day, after everything this club has uh, been through both on and off the field, I think over the last three and a half months, we still control our destiny, which is actually amazing that, that you could win four out of 18, 19, 20 games and still, and go a month in between wins uh, more often than not and still control your destiny. So RSL can get all the way up to the sixth seed, Ryan, with a win over Portland combined with a Vancouver win or tie, I think, with Minnesota. And RSL would then be in the sixth seed, which would put them most likely going to Dallas the following weekend for the playoffs. 
Seven seed means you have to go to Austin. LAFC with the one seed obviously gets a bye, but I think based on recent performances, you'd much rather go to Dallas than Austin. And then that Dallas, um, whatever, that 6-3 matchup uh, would get then the 2-7. So presumably if RSL can get past Dallas in the playoffs, you're playing either Minnesota or um, Vancouver or Austin. So um, a little bit of scenario, and obviously we're getting way ahead of ourselves because you just need three points at home. RSL with eight wins, three losses, five draws at home so far this year. And, um, you know, look, I think especially if you look at the recent schedule where, you know, you lose at home to Cincinnati, you draw at home to D.C. United, uh, you draw at home to Vancouver late, you lose a game to FC Dallas at home, you draw at home to Colorado, you have a scoreless draw with Columbus in uh, on June 25th, and that's the game where RSL gets three points there. They're waking up in first place with LAFC playing that Sunday. And, you know, and I we've said it before. Pablo says it every week on the radio, like, hey, if we're going to talk about those points we dropped, we got to talk about those points um, that we Still. miraculously earned, right? And when I think about those, I think about New England. I think maybe a little bit about Mon- Montreal. I think about San Jose, although San Jose, if Sergio finishes that breakaway cleanly, you're up 2-1 with 40 minutes left. Like So a lot of different uh, scenarios. And, and look, this is why you play the games. This is why games are not played on paper. And as Pablo likes to remind us, like it's the moments that make up all this. Um, and you know his mantra today was, again, as it probably has been, but it's becoming a little more vocalized, is you got to finish your chances. Like, you look back Saturday against L.A., I thought we played really well. I would have liked to have seen us maybe have a little more possession and control the ball a little more when you're up one nothing with 30 minutes left. Um, I think people feel a little hard done by those penalty calls. Um, for me, the one that Zach saved is actually – maybe less clear-cut than the second one that eventually was awarded. But all in all, I thought it was a really good performance to go in there. And Brian Ojeda's performance against uh, Ricky Push, uh, the Barcelona starlet for the Galaxy, was good. Chicharito got one yellow for diving, probably could have gotten a, another one at some point along the way. Last five minutes of stoppage, you've got two golden Justin Glad and one golden Jefferson Savarino chance to get the full three points there. Um, and you escape because Minnesota, believe it or not, has been worse over the last six games than RSL. Um, RSL only two points in its last six. Minnesota one point in its last six. So a draw in L.A. Uh, enables you to live to fight another day, which is this Sunday decision day against Portland at home. Obviously, the Timbers have a whole host of things going on and their organization um, coming out of the various NWSL investigations. Gavin Wilkinson, their GM and head of soccer, and Mike Golub, their president of business operations, fired on Wednesday morning by owner Merritt Paulson, who himself is coming under a lot of fire. We don't need to get into all that. There'll be plenty of time for that in the offseason. 
uh, to talk about uh, what's happening in the NWSL and U.S. Women's National Team and how it may affect what we're trying to do here in Utah. But uh, I guess let's let's start. Just give me your impressions of, of what we saw in L.A. and then then we'll look ahead to uh, our decision day history if there's anything more inspirational than the, the miracle to uh, to tap into this weekend. Yeah, I'm, I'm still uh, I'm still feeling it for Justin. Obviously, I'm trying to think of what we would have called that goal if he'd scored that goal. Um, glad to be here. Some <laughs> bad glad pun. But it, it's it's uh, it was kind of you know there's a microcosm effect of the season in that game. You know yeah. some some good great moments in the beginning. Um, Cordova getting his ninth goal. Um, yeah. So could finish the season with ten goals very very easily. <laughs> That's very within his reach. Um, I liked I liked a lot of the things that I was seeing with the team. That's the thing is like that that first half was, you know, with with Chicharito and Puig like yeah. just kind of doing their things and still being not and still being frustrated. Yeah. It was was pretty great to watch. You know, yeah. it's like that's the stuff. Um, I mean, I'm not gonna get over the blank screen VAR. Yeah, that sure. just that's a, that's something that just I don't know where to put that. It's just a where do you put that? That's just a. <laughs> Just a bizarre, uh, and maybe some point it'll become legendary in the yeah. history of RSL versus LA Galaxy. Yeah. So I mean, it was it was it was a good game. It was not it was not satisfying at all, but it was good. I did like seeing. I mean, obviously, love seeing Cordova scoring, but um, yeah, I think I think overall the the performance was strong. I think that that's that uh, you know you get that point in the season, especially when things are kind of slipping away, where you 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 kind of start questioning. You know where are these guys? Are these guys going to put in the energy it's going to take to 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 make that? And obviously, the and that question was answered. I think. I think that the this team is definitely focused on the task of getting into the playoffs. So that's that's pretty apparent. So I I'm, I'm excited for what that means for um for this week. I'm excited for you know with a like I've been saying this whole year. This is a season full of playoff atmosphere games. It's going to have it come down to. The wire here in Sandy, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be exciting. So would a, there's not a, anybody who would have rather seen them, you know, up at the top of the, the table, but you know, this is a good, this is as far as entertainment value, you're not going to get a better <laughs> ticket on, on Sunday. For yeah. Sure. Winning you're in winner, take all must win all the marbles, all those cliches. And, uh, you, it's amazing to me and I'm going to repeat it, it that we don't need help. Right. Uh, 2017, we had a home game against Kansas city, under Mike Pecky. Um, we did, I think, win that game 3-1. We we got the three points that we could control. Other results did not go our way. Therefore, we did not get into the playoffs. Um, 2018, one year later, we went to Portland. We lost our decision day game uh, 0-3, 3-0 at Portland, which is obviously awful uh, when you need a must-win. But the Galaxy that day had a 2 nothing win, uh, sorry, 2 nothing lead at Houston, which would have knocked us out. Houston tied it up pretty quickly, if I recall correctly, in the second half to make it 2-2, which still would have knocked us out, knocked us out. But Houston ends up getting, getting a third goal, so the Galaxy lost, and then that put us in the knockout game where we went and beat LAFC. With the amazing uh, Krylock kid, Karate Kid, whatever goal, and um, that just goes to show how thin the margins are, right? Like, we didn't control our destiny. We got a gift from Houston, and then we go beat the best team in the league in their building. 
And, I mean, we got a taste of that last year, right? Like, Demir scores 20 seconds or whatever it was from time, the Demiracle. Uh, that knocked the Galaxy out, right? Galaxy fans are upset a couple days later, especially when the pro referee report comes out and says that Glad should have had a handball. And maybe I think somebody, I think Dunny mentioned that there probably should have been a second yellow on somebody that would have put Kansas City up a man. I don't remember that detail, but. Um, you get the one nothing win. RSL gets the seventh seed. Galaxy are out of the playoffs for the fourth time in five years. And then we go to Seattle and come out of that situation improbably. We go back to Kansas City and end up with a comeback 2-1 win in a game where I think we were on the front foot for the majority of that game, despite the, I think it was a Johnny Russell PK pretty early. Um, and then you go to Portland and you don't have... You do not have Everton, who I think was pretty critical playing that six last year. Um, Aaron Herrera had probably his his most subpar game of the season in the Western Conference Final. Uh, ends up with a couple yellows and is ejected. And then um, there was something else that happened in that game that I'm kind of blanking on. But it was just a, a very bizarre uh, postseason run, right? And it restored a lot of faith. It basically got Pablo his job, and it it really was having that Cinderella-like playoff run was a nice way to go into the ownership situation being resolved, um, Pablo providing stability, you know, in the coaching staff and, and that locker room. And then you come back this year, and, you know, you're not able to replace Albert's offensive production. Demir gets hurt. You're not able to really replace his production. Um, I think Elliot would argue that the Albert replacement obviously came late May when Savarino showed up. Savarino and Bobby Wood only play 15 minutes, 14 minutes together all year. And um, I don't think we can overstate the loss of Bobby Wood. And, and it is because he... He may not have scored a ton of goals. I think he only had two this year. Obviously coming off an uh, injury-marred first year here last year. But listening to Pablo talk about how Bobby's defensive pressure up top set the tone for Sergio next to him, for the midfield behind him, really brought that RSL kind of line of confrontation much higher. And so that first month or whatever after Bobby was out, and Sergio was at the point trying to lead the defensive press, our line of confrontation is 20, 25 yards shorter or further back from where it should be. And so, look, that doesn't, that doesn't mean you, you uh, give away the 2-0 lead against Colorado or the one nothing lead against Vancouver or why you don't finish in a – a 0-1 home loss to Dallas or why you end up with a 0-0 against DC United at home. But it did affect kind of that period of play. And so, you know, you look at the road games at Minnesota and Atlanta where we went down early and we clawed back for one-goal losses that certainly weren't pretty. And emotionally, you hate climbing uphill, especially after you've just given your opponent's goal. San Jose, same thing. Um, you know, we went through that spate of really giving up early goals. 
Obviously, the numbers are very different when Justin Glad's on the field or off the field. He's only missed six games, but I think in those six he's missed, we give up two more, almost two whole more goals per game than than when he's on the field. Marcelo Silva has played a thousand more minutes than he ever has in his MLS career. Andrew Brody's tripled the number of minutes he ever had played, um, which is only a small sample size, but in his MLS career. Um, Justin Miram's played more minutes than he had in six or seven seasons. Zach McMath has played more minutes than he has since 2014. Um, a full 90 Sunday against Portland would make Zach McMath the first ever 100% Ironman in, in RSL's 18-year history, meaning he played every minute of every game for the entire season, for an entire 34-game season. So the best Nick Romando ever did was a 33-game uh, run of playing every minute in 2011, I believe. Um, obviously, Albert Rusnak came 15 minutes short of playing every minute last year. Rubio Rubin played in every game last year. Uh, this year, I think Chang and Brody could join Zach in playing every game. So um, I think there is an argument that maybe some of those guys had periods of the year where they looked tired. But they didn't look tired against L.A. And, you know, Justin Miram puts that ball on, on Glad's head at the end of the game, almost had the game-winning assist. Uh, it'll be interesting to see, is he is he asked to do the super sub thing he did late last year, or is he asked to start and play 2,700 minutes like he did most of this year, right, against Portland? Um, Silva's been, I think, a very, very good captain in Demir's stead, but you certainly miss Demir's kind of magic and leadership and vocalization um, on the field this year, and you know, nobody will ever know what, what could have been different. I think we can all speculate, but hopefully Demir has a hundred percent recovery and, and he's healthy when preseason starts on January sixth. So we're gonna have the longest off season we'll probably ever have, uh, because of the World Cup. And um, you know, who knows, maybe we beat Portland, we go on a little playoff run and and uh the season doesn't have to end till late October, early November. MLS Cup November 5th, which is about a month earlier than than typical. So a lot of fun things to think about, to talk about. And um, I don't know, Ryan, I mean, I'm always glass half full. I'm probably overly optimistic at, at times in the face of numbers or sentiment or the eye test or whatever. But, you know, you think back to when we played Portland here before, or not here, but when we played Portland before this year, it was a 0-0 up there. It was a week after, I think six days after the um, <laughs> bloody Easter Sunday debacle at New York City where we lost 6 nothing. It was three days after we lose at home to a third division Northern Colorado Hailstorm team playing its fourth ever competitive match. And it was also the day that Pablo Ruiz's father died. And he ends up hitting the post. It was a very emotional day up there in Portland. I, our uh, ownership representative, Scott Crace, presented Pablo with the game ball after that game. And so that was, what, mid to late April. So that was a long time ago. Portland's obviously struggled all year and has kind of turned it up. I think they've won four of their last six games coming into here on Sunday. But, um, you know, they beat us pretty handily last year on Kyle Beckerman night. They were up 3 nothing at halftime. Um, so I don't really know what to expect. But I do like our chances uh, being at home and from a full house 
controlling our destiny with, you know, all the marbles in play, right? Um, some cynics might accurately point out that when we've had a similar situation at home, uh, we've not come through. You know, the CONCACAF final, the Open Cup final, um, those are the two that, that really stick out. Um, I mean, you could argue that the second leg of a playoff series against um, Seattle, you know, we gave up a a goal. I think his name was Mario Martinez, Nicaraguan standout, who we actually had the discovery rights on that we traded to Seattle at some point. And he scores a screamer from the far uh, left side, the east side of Rio Tinto, or what was then Rio Tinto Stadium. And uh, we lose that series one nothing, like razor-thin margins. But um, the only way to rewrite history is to uh, is to make new things happen. And Pablo Mastroeni will gladly tell you that all these trends and all this history and all these stats that we all like to talk about don't matter. It's all about the 90 minutes on, on Sunday, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, MLS uh, season is all about the can you get hot? Or when you can, can you make up for your your slump with a hot streak, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, we kind of did that last year, right? We get yeah. we get bounced, trounced at home twice, yeah. San Jose and um, Portland. I think we were down three goals in both of those home games. Yeah. Then we go to Kansas City, and then we wait until literally twenty seconds left. I do think that this point last year, this episode of this show was kind of in post mortem mode. Yeah, and uh, so things do turn around. I mean, that's the, the. I mean, anybody who's who's even you know, let's think about the winners of MLS the last couple of years. All of them have had these these times to go down. I mean, not to say that like every you know every trend is you know going to happen again but i think that like it takes a special it takes a special string of performances to to go anywhere in the playoffs and that does take some lucky strikes and some you know just being you know being on at the right time and you know this is a team that's primed to do that they've been waiting to like start clicking on all cylinders i think i don't know talking about that that uh that last portland game man i was looking looking back to that one that's another set of points or some points road points that could have easily gone exactly I mean, that 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 shot that pablo ruiz had that went off of the the post yeah like even on the broadcast was like one of the loudest sounds i'd ever heard you know it's like <laughs> it's the, thump, nobody's ever it? hit a post that hard and it's these things that happen it's just like the way the ball bounces i don't want to get too esoteric about it but it's like there's so many things that are like just Mar- razor thin margins yeah. we're talking about that already but but i think that like if if anything you know i can say this is a this is a chance we have to you know to see i don't know i'm looking at the standings right now and look at the teams that are below and like you know these are some teams with some expensive players and mm-hmm. some high expectations yep. one of them our own albert rusnak um but uh you know these the teams that have have failed this season too and to see that rsl is still you know within literal like striking distance sure. of of being in the you know uh, you know, just having a season that we remember for a long time. And I, well, I don't want to like jinx anything, but I'm like, sure. I, I don't think it's hard. It's bad to anticipate a good result this weekend. Well, and you know, I went through the recent decision day history. Um, and MLS hasn't always labeled the last weekend decision day. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there've been years where we kind of had to sit out because of an odd number of teams. And, you know, it's been kind of convoluted as the league has grown so rapidly. But if you go way back, 2008, 2009, our first two playoff appearances, we got in by getting the required result on the final day of the season 
in 2008, it was a 1-1 draw at Colorado, a very late uh, goal. I think it was an Andy Williams shot that was saved and then uh, poked home by Europe Mopsissian for a 1-1 draw. And then 2009, obviously the year we win the Cup, Ryan, we're 11 wins, 12 losses, 7 ties. We end up beating Colorado at home, I think, 3 nothing on the final day. Uh, goals from Finley and Movsissian. And we end up being the East. Sorry, that was when they had only eight teams go to the playoffs. We end up being the East, the West Five, which flipped over to the East. We became the East Four. We knock off Columbus, the Supporter Shield champs, and the top seed in a two-game series. Then we go to Chicago and win in a shootout, and that's why we were the Eastern Conference representative in Seattle against the Galaxy, and we win that cup in a shootout. So literally stranger things have happened, and I don't know if I've talked about this recently here, but not only did we need to win that game against Colorado at home on the final weekend of 2009, we needed three other games to go our way. And we needed Toronto to lose at the Red Bulls, which they did, I think, like 6 nothing, Might have been 5 nothing. We needed, I think, a tie, which is the hardest result to need when you have zero control. I think we needed a tie between D.C. and Kansas City. That happened. And then uh, Dallas and Seattle's game finished after ours did. And... I think Seattle beat Dallas, if I recall correctly. And so we had this amazingly rare and inopportune combination of results end up going our way. All these things that were out of our control on top of just getting... So that's why I guess that's another reason why I feel more or less confident going into this weekend is like all we have to do is do what we do the majority of the time at home and that's when get the three points. Yes, there is more pressure. Yes, there is more significance. Um, we will have a full house. It'll be a day game, not a night game. It's on ESPN2. It's not on local TV. Like, there's all these things uh, that are going to kind of ramp up the intensity and the pressure. But uh, like Pablo says, that pressure is an opportunity. And we get another opportunity to show everybody, ourselves and everybody else, that we've learned from those mistakes that blew those points out of the water at home or away that we look back and wish we had right now. Um, as long as we're going down memory lane, I was <laughs> just going to pull out the 2013 season as well. Yeah. And that was a, I guess this one doesn't doesn't fit our narrative we're trying to paint right now, but then they lose, they lost the first leg here at home against LA, right? Was that here, the first leg? Uh, and then win I, in LA? I think we tied. So I'm looking at the result of that. We it's might like, have, we might have lost, yeah. And then it was two, then a two-zero in LA. Yeah, yeah, because the, Schuler and Velasquez, um, and one of them was an extra time, I think, right? Yeah, to take that, yeah, to take the, um, yeah, take to, that series, yeah. And, and then so, we go and and then we beat Portland in the West Final, yeah, right? Yeah, Portland, we it was four, we thumped them at home and then we beat them away. Yeah. And then, but the specter around that was like, is this Jason's last game? Is yeah, this, you know? there was a lot of stuff going on there. Everybody yeah. was just, but that was another one that the some weird results there just going there. Dude, you're right. Sean Franklin, right for LA, had an amazing goal, and it was super windy at the stadium. 
they had the Panamanian keeper, and I'm blanking on his name, Pinedo, Pinedo maybe? Yeah. And he, like, put on a yeah. goalkeeping display. Yeah. So I'd forgotten that, that we yeah. dropped that first leg at home. Anyway, I don't know if that, that adds to our discussion right now, but I was just trying to remember how those. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember being in a, I remember being at a, at a game here at, at, in Sandy and feeling disappointed walking away from a playoff game, but then getting another playoff game after that. Yeah, it was the home and away, the series. I'm glad that that's gone. I don't think that's, that doesn't fit with the, what I, with a, in American sports, yeah, <laughs> but, sure. but it is, it did, it did give a lot of, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of history here. That's that's yeah. that's a uh, letting myself like open my eyes too recently is like, you know, you tend to think like, oh, we're just nobody cares here. But there's been a lot of things that have happened in this building and this, oh. you know, just so many different things, so many different players have come through, so many different performances that we've had, so many things that have been, you know, worth remembering. And the season's full of them already. And uh it's it's as far as I can tell, it's far from over right now. So Yeah, it's uh it's exciting times, right? And I guess we just can't ask for anything more than to control our destiny. Yeah, I love it. I'm exhausted from all of the the the, the high pressure games this season. Yeah. But it's a it's a, that you know I can't wait to you know a, a, another 90 minutes here in Sandy. I'm up, I'm up for it. I'm excited. Um, before before we talk a little bit about the end of the broadcast era, um, with DJ and Dunny last week and ESPN coming in this week and then Apple next year. I do want to kind of go through, you know, where you think, you know, some of the players are. Because, like, if we just look at the L.A. game, right, uh, McMath has made three PK saves this year. Uh, Silva and Glad, I think, have been extraordinarily more than solid. Like, they've been elite. Um, Aaron Herrera, I think, has played a lot better um, in, you know, recent games and has been dangerous um, with that right foot. Um, Ojeda, I think, has been uh, a revelation, if you will. Um, Caldwell is in instead of Ruiz just because he's a little bit more of a defensive player. So, like, that's one that could be interesting because maybe you don't be – Pablo may not want to be so, I guess, conservative at home as he was, you know, in L.A., wanting that to make sure to have that, that second pivot with the defensive um, bent. Obviously, Jasper, you know, Pablo thought Jasper's best game in an RSL uniform was playing at the 10 against Atlas, so that's why he gave him that opportunity at L.A. I know Jasper came out a little early. He was getting banged around, but, man, he put himself in some great positions, both attacking and defensively kind of clamping down on on, on Ricky. Uh, on the wings, you had Brody on one side, uh, Oviedo on the other. Um, I think Andrew Brody is got, for me. He's he's a team MVP this year. I think he's the first guy that you pencil in, and he's played left back. He's played right back. He's played left wing back. He's played right wing back. Like you can literally plug him in anywhere. Uh, two goals. I think five assists this year. He might have gotten a sixth um, recently, but uh, just a a great season for him. And again, he's played all but 100 minutes, so he's like borderline Iron Man. And then uh, Sergio and Savarino, the Venezuelan duo up top, they've scored or assisted on um, 16 of our last 21 goals. Um, so the offense clearly goes through those guys. Like I said, um, you know, people want to talk about the glad chances, but I think the Savarino mischance late 
against LA. Like there's literally no player you want um to have the foot that that ball falls to more than Savarino and he just hit it high. And uh you know, Tuesday in training this week, exact same situation. He pops it um near post, upper ninety, like impossible to save. And it's just like, man, gotta do that in a game. <laughs> Let's see it. Um you know, and Sergio, I think, has been, you know, kind of an enigma this year. He's been hot and he's been cold. He's made some goals, like the one in Seattle and, um, you know, the one in San Jose that he missed. Like, some of those chances are harder than well, the, they needed the, the to be. Well, the header this week, I mean, it was just that had to come back and yeah. you know, make up for that being behind him. Like, that – Obviously, I mean that's the thing. Like, let me let me just. It says as long as you're leaving talking about the same player. I mean, Sergio. I think Sergio is what we need him to be. I think yep. it would be. The reality is, is he could be a superstar in this league, sure. and he is very good. At, and he's exactly what we need there. I mean, that's the thing. Is like he's a superstar talent that should be performing at a higher level. I think that we can say that without taking away from the fact that he is actually, you know, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. I think that he's getting goals, and he the potential of getting more goals is off the charts so uh, that's the thing i think we did see with, with sergio yeah jefferson i i have kind of i'm not going to say that i've ever been down on on jefferson at all this year but i just i would i think that maybe he because of his reputation he does get clamped down a little bit harder than some of the other players sure. which which does kind of i don't know you look at it on his face there's never there's never a better face <laughs> to like for the camera to zoom in on than yeah. than than jefferson after the you know a, a ball goes over for a goal kick or whatever it's like he he wears that frustration. I, I mean, that's probably just. I mean, but it's like you can see that there's things that aren't going his way too, and that's as like as as productive as he's been. We've been given these numbers about the the amount of goals he's been involved in. As as productive as as Jefferson's been, if he'd been up to like where I think he expects himself to be, he's the MVP of the league. Like yeah. that's that's and with with only part of the season, you know, like that's the thing. Um, Brody obviously MVP, most valuable player. There's not a player in the league that's been more valued per dollar spent on him than, sure. than Brody. I don't think there's a question about that. I honestly, I keep saying this. I think that like, there's not a team on this league that wouldn't want Brody on their roster. Mm-hmm. I think that that's, I think he fits in anywhere. Cause you can't put him anywhere. There's, he's a true, like, yeah. you know, he's a true, like put a plug and play, just get him out there. You know, I mean, Jordan Allen hated it when I used to call him the Swiss army knife. But yeah. That's what Brody's been. I mean, that's the thing is teams need that. And yeah. it's not, it's not a glamorous. Yeah, we're pretty close being that too. Yeah. As, yes, for absolutely. And I think that's the stuff I think, um, watching, watching Jasper get so many, spend so much time being the focus of, I don't know, elbows and knees. Yeah. And he had those looks on his face that I hadn't seen since Jordan Allen bringing up Jordan mm. Allen. I remember Jordan Allen having these like moments when he was in games where you just see him on the ground or like he's just been run over by a steamroller of like, yeah. you know, whatever they've been, I don't know, targeting is the right word, but like coming up against. But that's the thing. His industry, his nonstop engine. Yeah. It gets it, it, it puts off. a target. Yeah, it yeah. puts a target, and that's the thing is people go after him. And the thing about like watching Jasper, and I think uh, Dunny was talking about this on the broadcast. We we'll get to that in a second, but um, but talking about how someone in his position doesn't get to the place where he's getting that kind of respect. You know, someone who's coming off of like a um, a college player in his first year, like that's the, to get the kind of respect he's getting from big name players. You know, on the other teams, like mm-hmm. the the type of attention he's getting from them is is is, is pretty telling. Diego Luna, I, I think I'm just going through a list of names here. Diego Luna, sure. I think we still, I think yet to be seen, I think is what we need to see with him. I think that everything points in the, you know, positive potential off the charts. Sure. Um, love to see him have put in a goal at one or two, or at least, you know, be yeah. really involved in a goal. I think he's had some pretty good chances that have not, you know, come to fruition, but right. 
I don't think anybody can doubt what, you know, the, that the reality is like, this is people like watching him, you see the potential. I think it's there. I love to see it start, you know, the, the stats to start to back that up for sure. Um, Oviedo, um, Ojeda, I think both those guys, those additions, imagine this season with both of them, mm-hmm. you know, from the beginning. It's 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 amazing to think. And then I'll just end with Justin Miriam. I know there's more, but um, Justin Justin Miriam has been kind of the, the backbone this team has needed yeah. without being the person that you would have necessarily put in that place, like, at the beginning of the season. I don't think sure. that Justin, somebody, like, say, hey, we're going to kind of solidify this team around – you know, the guy who's been played for every team and, been, yeah. you know, been played, you know, been playing since a lot of these guys. I mean, he's, his career is almost as long as um, Luna is alive. So yeah, it's like, yeah, that's, that's a good point. I mean, it's not quite that long, but <laughs> it, it, I'm not trying to throw mirror money, but, but it's like somebody that, that shouldn't have had to take the, you know, that the team on his shoulders the way that he has. And he's done it. I think that, that, that anytime he's been on the field, I think it's been positive. I don't think, I don't think anybody can doubt you know, his drive sure. and like the, the, the impact he's put on this team. And obviously the rest of these guys, Justin, uh, Silva, I mean, there's, there's guys that have been like, we've seen some great yeah. performances and that's, that's kind of why it's kind of, it's a little heartbreaking to think that they're in a place where they, that they're not fully like being recognized for that. This is, yeah. And like getting back to Savarino, like he's so proud Saturday at LA was his 100th regular season game in an RSL uniform. And he's so proud to have played 100 games for this club. Hopefully he plays at least 100 more, if not more. Um, But for him to have, I think, six goals, five assists in his limited time and be um, tied, I guess, with Sergio for the most goal contributions this year. Because there really has been, you know, goal scoring by committee. So you've got, you know, Cordova at nine, Sabarino at six. Um I think there's five guys at three and a bunch of guys at two. Like I think it's 11 or 12 guys that have multiple goals this year. So it's clearly by committee. It looks a little weird that, you know, your golden boot race is a guy that has nine, a guy that has six. Yeah. Um, looking at the league golden boot races, um, we've obviously had seasons in the past where eight or nine goals won you a golden boot, um, which is not ideal. Uh, but that's been kind of the bugaboo for this team this year. They've been they've been really solid defensively, and they just haven't put the ball in the back of the net enough. And I think we all look back at most games and feel like, okay, we created chances, we didn't finish them. And do they get finished if Demir's there? Do they get finished if Albert's there? Do they get finished if Sergio's outside and not inside? Do they get finished if you know Julio had been here at the beginning of the year or had been healthier? Um, you know, there's a lot of ifs, ands, and buts, and you do this with any team in any sport, any season. But uh, the bottom line is, hey, we got we got the opportunity to grab three points Saturday or Sunday, excuse me, three o'clock, packed America First Field in Sandy, and uh, and then everybody's zero zero. You know, once you get to the dance, as we saw a year ago, we only came up one step short, but anything can happen. So. Um, Ryan, before I go, I just wanted to verbally express um, gratitude, sorrow, a lot of emotions around the 18-year run of RSL being on free over-the-air television in this market. Um, So with ESPN taking over the Decision Day game, with Dunny... Uh, being called to do the Decision Day desk at ESPN in Bristol this weekend. 
um, and Taylor Twelman and John Champion coming here, that means, as has been well documented, that David James and Brian Dunseth have done uh, their last game together uh, for KMYU and KSL. I guess there might be a very small percentage outside chance that maybe one of the playoff games could go to local TV, but I think it's highly unlikely. So let's say a 1% chance there. But anyway, um, you know, Dunny was a guy that that I knew in 1997 when he signed with the Project 40. And I was at the league. He had played, you know, three semesters, like he likes to remind us, at Cal State Fullerton. And I think he was the second guy to sign a Nike Project 40 contract, which was designed to do what every team's academy does now, which is to give uh, young, you know, young elite soccer players a chance at being a pro. And again, this was the second year of MLS in 1997. Um, they they had a team that actually kind of barnstormed and played uh, different USL teams. Uh, they would go on like a training camp overseas and play um, foreign teams. They would occasionally get called in and play MLS games uh, individually. And, you know, during the offseason, they would go spend two weeks or four weeks or six weeks with, you know, international clubs. And I know Dunny went and played over at Rangers in Scotland for, you know, I think three or four weeks. And and he tells a lot of great stories about that. But um, then in 2005, when or late 2004, when Ellinger was putting the team together, Dunny was playing in Sweden and John Ellinger called and said, hey, would you come to Utah? And because of Dunny's experience with Ellinger at the U.S. kind of youth Olympic national teams levels, um, he had said, yeah, I'll always come back and play for you. And a lot of guys said that. But um, Dunny had uh, grandparents, I think, that had been members of the church. So there was some attraction uh, to Utah for him because of that. And um, that whole 2005 expansion year, man, Denny was just a guy that, basically told me anything you need. You need somebody to go on TV at 6 a.m. or go on the radio or do anything, like, just let me know. And obviously it paid off for him eventually because he became, you know, he turned all that media experience into a career. And, you know, it was something he had learned from Alexi Lawless in um, in New England about half a life is just showing up, and being present, and being available, and... um for, you know, one of the other things that Dunny says a lot but always has stuck with me is when you walk into a studio or you walk into a room and it's easy, I guess, if you're a player to kind of big-time people, but you just never know because that intern that's holding a light or holding a mic or whatever could be somebody you need to work for or with someday. And Dunny talks all the time how people that were in – presumably either low-level or invisible positions back when he was the captain of the Olympic team or playing for Dallas or New England or Columbus or RSL or Chivas or Galaxy or whoever. Those people are now big-time decision-makers. You know, his his PR guy at the New England Revolution was the president of CONCACAF for a couple of years. So um, Dunny's lesson when he does, and I've been fortunate enough to work with him when we, you know, do media trainings with the academy kids or, you know, the Monarchs or RSL, like he tells, hey, shake everybody's hands, take your sunglasses off, 
treat people with respect because they'll remember that. And when you're done playing or when you want to make extra money or you want to, you know, become a endorsee of some sponsored product, you know, the people are going to remember how you treated them. And if you treat them like humans and not like you're the star and they're the uh, servant, you know, that goes a long way. And, and the other thing I'll say about Dunny, and we could have a whole show, we probably should, um, Dunny always told me he will never say anything about a player during a game that he wouldn't say if that player's mom wasn't in the box with him. So where I think Dunny has been very different from other analysts in and around this league is that not only does he identify a problem, he provides a solution. And instead of just saying um, Tony Beltran sucks, he will say this is what Tony's struggling with, this is how to fix it. And and that's gone a long way uh, with players, not only in our locker room, but all around the league. People know that Dunny is calling it as he sees it. I know that he takes a lot of grief on Twitter for not being maybe more of a homer, but um, our broadcasts are considered amongst the best in the league because they are called authentically. They are called down the middle, and that was something back in 2004, 2005 when when we were putting things together. And, and Dunny didn't really start doing TV, I think, until maybe 07. But we always asked Bill Riley or Ryan Hatch or – Dave Durr, Ray Hudson, or Siggy Schmidt, or um, whoever our our analysts were, um, call the game down the middle. Don't be a homer. Don't kill the refs unless you absolutely have to. Like, obviously, guys can have shockers, but um, you know, I think the discovery was that the fan base here was a lot smarter than anybody expected after not having you know a high level pro soccer team, and. The other thing is fans aren't dumb. So be honest. Call spade a spade. Do what you got to do. But anyway, um, and we will do something in the offseason to properly like look back down memory lane with these guys. But um, whether it was KSL in the early days, then we went to KUTV, then we went to ABC4, then we came back to KUTV. We've had games on KMYU and KJAZ, which were both run by KUTV. Um, uh, David James, Brian Dunseth, Jay Nolly, uh, Bill Riley, as I said, Ryan Hatch. There's so many people. Ian Joy. Uh, Kyle Martino actually called some games for us back in uh, 06, 07 when he was dabbling. Chris Wingert. I mean, we've had different guys really try to use uh, at our invitation our TV and radio broadcast as a opportunity to either learn or get reps or see if it was something they wanted to do a little more permanently after they're playing. But uh, we can never say enough good things about Dunny's ambassadorship for this club in this community, whether it was as a player, whether it was as a retired player, whether it was radio, TV, um, grassroots, anything else on Twitter, especially social media. Uh, Dunny's perspective is always valued, and he will always, always, always be uh, part of the core the fabric of this club and you know my bet is that he has a very prominent role with apple and mls next year uh, but hopefully he is calling more than a handful of rsl games for them and then hopefully on all non-game days or in other mediums we can uh, properly utilize him to uh, to tell our story to explain 
uh, decisions to provide perspective because um, there are a few people that understand the big picture of uh, this league, this sport, and this country, this team, this club, this community, all that stuff better than than Brian Dunseth. Uh, David James uh, came under a lot of fire when he took over for Bill Riley. That was uh, part of you know the New Deal with the new network, and um, you know, look, David James is very well liked in casual circles. Um, I know that it was hard to have that change because Bill Riley calls such an amazing soccer game. But uh, David James did grow. I think every week he got better. Um, and having kind of that mass market credibility of his voice with um, our kind of niche sport, our growing sport, our growing club, uh, DJ did a lot of good things. And his ability to quickly develop a rapport with coaches and players is critical, I think, for any broadcaster, whether you're play-by-play, whether you're um, color analyst, whether you're sideline, whatever your role is. And um, I just personally cannot thank DJ enough for uh, the things he did. Uh, and, look, we always want him to do more, more on the 6 and 10 on KUTV, more on uh, the zone and 1280 in the mornings or whatever. But um, – you know, DJ's also done a lot with Utah Food Bank and the food pantries and the school districts uh, with our foundation to help make sure that a lot of kids in our state get breakfast and lunch and then can actually have the ability to learn uh, during the school day. So there's not enough great things to say about these guys. It's so sad it's over, uh, but it's not It's not goodbye. It's just kind of we'll see these guys hopefully in different roles. The Thursday night show on KMYU and KUTV, hopefully that continues in future years with DJ and Dunny. Um, I imagine there'll be some hodgepodge mix of, of both digital and mainstream uh, collaboration between the club and those guys and coaches and players and projects. And hopefully, you know, someday maybe a women's team again and all these things like, so we're all in this together and, um, I just wanted to use this uh, much longer than five minutes to uh, to say thank you to both David James and Brian Dunseth for everything they've done for our club, for everything they've done for me uh, personally and professionally, for the council, the advice, um, the collaboration. They're just incredible guys to work with. And I can say this about 2,500 people. Um, everybody's on the same side. Everybody's rowing in the right direction. Um, couldn't always say that, but for the most part over our 18 years, we've been able to say that. And, and, um, so anyway, I just thank you for the opportunity to say thank you to those guys, the outpouring of memories and other things we've seen from fans and everybody else on Twitter, uh, to those guys, uh, in and around the LA game. And I'm sure we'll keep seeing it, um, is, is heartwarming. It makes you laugh. It makes you cry. And, uh, you know, we don't really know yet what the Apple MLS deal is going to look like, what the local storytelling ecosystem is going to look like. But I think we're all excited about it and we're all excited to have a role in it. So thanks, Donnie. Thanks, DJ. Thank you, Ryan, for allowing this long winded diatribe. <laughs> well, I do have a couple of things to add to that, sure. if it's all right. Um, I mean, as a fan of RSL, um, 
I think that uh, I wouldn't be a fan of ourselves if it wasn't for the broadcast deal. Like, honestly, like, it's hard to watch other sports when you're in Utah, but to always have, to always be able to count on every RSL game being on TV, wherever you're, you know, like, it's, it's, uh, that doesn't, as someone who's grown up in markets where you can't watch your home team on TV unless you have the very specific package <laughs> to have something that's that dependable as that's been. And then just to, you know, just to have been, to be, to have somebody like, I don't know, I miss, I'm, I'm going to miss DJ on the calls. I mean, that's somebody, I'm somebody who may have been overly critical of DJ when he got that job and he was the one there. But uh, to hear him call a game and to hear, and I actually have been watching him like grow into that, that spot and to be the guy. I mean, I, I watch a lot of soccer and there's not a lot of Americans that call soccer the way the DJ does. I can say that. And then obviously Brian, uh, Dunny, um, man, what, how lucky are we that, that he is in this market? It's un- unbelievable. There was a tweet the other day, and maybe if you're following Dunny on Twitter, you saw this, him respond to this, but the Fox roster of um, people that are going to the World Cup yeah. came out. And some people were like, some people were pointing out, how, Dunny, how come you're not on this list? You look at the list of names on there. And Dunny's response to that was, I don't have the credentials. And that's just, to me, it's just <laughs> obviously Dunny being, you know, being Dunny there, like, he of any uh, there's nobody that has the more correct set of credentials to be listed in that group and it's unfortunate that maybe it's just because he's in salt lake and not in la and not in new york not in a bigger market that somehow he's overlooked when that list of names is made it's kind of a travesty that he's not part of that list maybe it is just the fox espn connection actually what it comes down to is what my guess is but but i think we're lucky to have you know the kind of the kind of insight and experience and um broadcast professionality that we've had mm-hmm. for so long that we can just expect to have happen that when you do tune into a game on ESPN because you're out of the out of the state and you yeah. get the visiting broadcast and it's so jarringly like hard to listen to sure. not because they're not pro RSL it's because this is we don't have this, this that team that 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 combination doesn't exist very yeah. many places and i think it's been said a lot of times that like this apple deal does help the majority of the markets in this mm-hmm. league but it it's devastating to it's devastating to this market. So I think that, you know, hopefully Apple does right. Hopefully the then the the way that MLS goes through mm-hmm. with like what the broadcasting does right. Um obviously Dunny needs to be calling soccer and that's like, you know, yeah. I, I guarantee we'll be listening to him for as long as we can. So for sure. And I, I shouldn't say it doesn't help us. It doesn't help us the way our broadcasts have Well it, it it's a it's a step back before it's a step forward for it sure. Is, it it's, is definitely a step back locally. Um, but the Apple deal does give MLS and all of its teams, there'll be an ML, there'll be an RSL channel in the Apple, whatever ecosystem. And suddenly like RSL and MLS are in a billion people's hands and that cannot be understated, right? Or overstated, I should say. And look, I like to joke. A lot of those people are, are gamblers in Asia that just want to be able to watch MLS. Like, it does hurt us, like you just said, in the short term from a fan development standpoint. But I don't know. We well, Now a, everybody in Paraguay can watch Brian Ojeda next year, yeah. and suddenly that opens up a, an avenue for us to sell jerseys and gain uh, connectivity. Like, yeah, but, it's a, but they, we still have to do all the other things we did here over the last 18 years to be available and accessible to the people in our market that are filling that stadium every weekend. Yeah, the unfortunate casualty, I guess, of this, what is going to be. I, technically, it's a groundbreaking deal. I don't think any league has quite that reach that this that's Apple deal is going to give to MLS. But, but that being said, 
yeah, it's it's a end of an era, and it is a little bit like the weight of it kind of hit a little bit harder than I was expecting. Yeah. So, and I think everybody's kind of feeling that. But yeah, yeah, we'll do a we'll do a, once we have some details, maybe at some point in the off season, we can or you know, look, preseason starts January sixth, so um, at the very least in January, maybe we'll have some details <laughs> we can get into, but. Um, we'll be talking about this in a lot more detail and there's so many people to thank and Kent Crawford at KUTV, Tanya Vea at KSL are the present like GMs that, uh, Tyler has done those deals with that I did the original deals with. Um, there's a guy named Greg James back in the early days of KSL. We got a lot of stories for days. Um, Tyler kind of works for RSL because of the ABC, relationship and Deloitte and Richard Dutre Jones. Like there's funny stories around uh, getting that deal done. Bill Manning's kid wrestled with the ABC four general managers whose name is escaping me. That's sort of uh, set the table for that, that deal. Uh, we talked about going to uh, what was then known as root sports, Rocky mountain. Thank God we didn't. When you look at everything that's happened with RSNs and the jazz availability over the years with, Dish and DirecTV and some of those, um, you know, conflicts and how the Colorado Rockies play into all this. Like, we could do TV story time uh, for days. Obviously, you know, people talk about Winger dropping the F-bomb. Uh, Beckerman absolutely skewered a teammate during a halftime interview in San Jose. And Garth calls me. He's like, you can't have Kyle do these interviews. I'm like, if Kyle can't do interviews, he probably shouldn't be our captain. So, like, uh, let's talk about this. And uh, we could go on and on. There's a lot of great stuff, and I'm sure more and more will come to us. Uh, we'll do a whole nother episode dedicated to all this. Um, Ryan, any last words before we move ahead to decision day? Let's get it. Let's go there. <laughs> let's get this. Get yeah. these points up. Three points or bust. Yeah. Yep. All right. Thanks for everything. As always, Think to thank you to everyone out there. Uh, listening, downloading, subscribing, sharing. Uh, the feedback, the early feedback coming in from the John Jenna episode has been uh, amazing and heartwarming, and uh, we'll get into some more of that in the coming weeks. Don't forget there is an ALS walk on Saturday morning, October 15th, so put that in your calendars. We'll get the details out on social. Um, the Soapbox guys are doing some uh, fun uh, donation matching opportunities, which I am also participating in uh, for people who want to contribute to John growing his legacy. Please do listen to uh, that version, that edition of Clip Bleeding Claret and Cobalt. As always, you can find us on social, uh, Twitter and Instagram, at Claret Cobalt. You can find us on uh, anchor.fm slash Claret and Cobalt. Just hit the message function there. Or you can uh, email us at rsltrey at gmail.com. And uh, as usual, we cannot do this without the support of One Wire Fiber and Adam Sessions. Adam, I owe you burgers and beer and a round of golf before the weather turns. So thank you. Thank you so much for your support. Uh, two, going on two years now of, uh, of this show that Ryan and I have so much fun uh, putting together and uh, again we couldn't do this without all of you great listeners out there so we'll see you guys at the stadium on decision day and then hopefully we'll see you on the road in the 2022 Audi MLS Cup playoffs thank you Bleeding Claret and Cobalt